Ready? Recording. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Painter by Quarterly Slush Pile. Thank you for listening in on what we hope. And, well, actually, we know this is going to be a damn good editorial meeting, um, as they always are. We have editorial meetings on the air so that we're lifting the veil of uh, privacy, secrecy, whatever it might be, mystery, um, from what happens when editors get together and talk about poetry. So we editors are painted by quarterly. And the first person of the we is always me because that's just the way I roll. And um, and we have a couple of new things. No, I think we only have one new thing today, but it's always exciting. So um, I'm here in the studio in Philadelphia and I'm Kathleen Volkmiller. And uh, we have a sad thing today. Today is Britt Ogilvie's last podcast as our co-op. No! Tears. Tears. Hashtag tears. How do you feel, Brett? Well, I'm not looking forward to going back to a full schedule of classes. I can say that. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to tell her last night that isn't it nice to just like sit in a class? No. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, well, we'll miss you. And, you know, the door is always open. Always, always, always. Figuratively, metaphorically, in all the ways. And um, speaking of always having open doors, we always have had an open door for Addison Davis in the Thank studio you. today. Welcome, Addison. Mary and I know you guys have met through the years. Addison's been reading with us um, off and on, mostly on for about six years now, we're thinking. Just and um, we're really excited that he's coming back full court press right now. Right now. Right now. I'm very excited. Can you hear it in his voice? Can you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, morning Jason top of the morning to you where are you today I am in Brooklyn I am in the lovely neighborhood of Bedford Stuyvesant in my living room um, overlooked by two naked paintings of St. Sebastian sounds exactly exactly like our, our, our slushies have always pictured you that's that's right. I am I am surrounded by um, nudity and art. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Marion and Samantha, you're together and you're in a slightly different environment. Tell us. We are. So we're huddled together in my office here at NYU Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. And we're looking out at a beautiful um, green landscape, believe it or not, because there's a gorgeous garden on campus. Um, and I've got a Buddha head and a paperweight with a picture of Icarus falling. That's that's what Samantha and I are looking at a oh, falling nice. Icarus and a Buddha head. He, Icarus looks a little naked. <laughs> no, it is true. Icarus okay. is definitely naked. We'll send you a picture. Okay. All right. Do, do Joey, we, have, we have a statue. We have a statue of Icarus in front of our college. And you really? everyone, we do. It's it's actually it's a it just looks like a broken pelvis. It looks like a, <laughs> like um, it just looks like if you were to like ask Frida Kahlo to make you like a big bronze <laughs> pelvis. Um, and if you read the uh, inscription, it's a statue of Icarus to remind students like not to aim too high. It's really weird. It's like. The humility of the sciences. It is like, yeah, that maybe, yeah, maybe not here. Maybe this is not good. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, that should not be on any school grounds. I don't think. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's it's to warn you that like you know don't don't fly too close to the sun, kids. <laughs> not a fan. 
Yeah. Not a fan. But, but Joe, we need some art in here. You need naked art. We can, Joe, can we bring some naked art in here? Can I, I can bring some things in. You can bring in whatever you want. Will you hang it up? Sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Chewing gum and posters are arriving in the next two week thing. This is B- BYO Podcast Studio. <laughs> you can bring our own decor. Um, so, okay. Well, I think that we should do what we're here for. Yeah? Okay. Let, let's read yeah. some poems. We have three poems by Alicia Askinays. Um, and I'm very excited. And um, uh, we're going to start with Shops Like That. All right. For uh, for those of you who don't have the printout that Britt so wonderfully made for us. Um, and hmm, who would like, I'll read it. Can I read it? Yeah. Okay. I'll be selfish like that. Okay. This is Alicia Askinay's Shops Like That. Red fruit of tropical magnolia hang, guy in long hair, leaves trail of weed smell, faint barking. Next season, I'll plant milkweed for the monarchs. Did you say pull the wool? No, I said woolly bully. The nasturum flowers finally bloom from the cool air. An evergreen couple, attractive, especially the young man, make out make our goodbyes at campus cafe how does he know to hold her face like that pulling it toward his mouth the moon cannot be stolen yellow berries of the female ilex which has grown taller and fuller than the male's orange so they appear to be one shrub cut a few before the birds and chipmunks forage Place them in the vase filled with paper flowers from that shop long ago. There must be others. Shops like that. Humanity in the umbrella stand. Shops with flowers like that. Nice. Yeah. Well done. It's, it's, the syntax is really... Um, avant-garde? Um, the syntax is, is kind of like not really... Thank you, because it's all about juxtaposition rather than sentences. Yeah. And I was I was having a really hard time with it. I was kind of like, I don't know what that's going to sound like when you read it. And I thought you did a really good job. Thank you. I don't know why I got possessive like that, but, I, you know, I read them. <laughs> I read them when I asked and then I read them again on the train on the way over. And I was like, I want to read that one. Um, I don't know. I don't know what kind of sense making we want to do or if we want to talk about language. Yeah, I was having a hard time. I was having a little bit of a hard time getting in. I wasn't really sure because at times it seems to be, you know, extremely imagistic. It's very narrative. um, It's totally grounded. And then at other times it sort of stops making sense and kind of pushes against these things. And, um, you know, I, I love the image system of the plants. Um, I have one of those magnolias that leaves those like weird, funky red fruits after the flower falls away. And you have this like crazy bulb of red berry ish things. 
Um, and I love ilex. Um, you know, it's a really beautiful shrub. And I sort of like the way it interacts with the couple and the evergreen, uh-huh. you know, comes into them. But then like, and I don't know, like everything is really beautifully shown. But I'm, I'm having a really hard time. I, I don't get quite how they pull together. Like I'm sort of like, I almost want like a little bit more um, narrative glue mm-hmm. or imagistic connective tissue. Yeah, I get a really vivid scene and I don't still don't know what's going on. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with what Jason said 100%. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about the title and looking for the title to orient me somehow. And I'm wondering if any of you, um, the title has helped you at all to feel oriented. Well, I think I um, I really like how the poem actually drops into that last stanza. Mm-hmm. And um, as you as you all have been saying, it's sort of like it points in multiple directions and in, in a nearly unruly way. Right. Um, but there's that image system of the of the flowers. And yet when you get to the last stanza, it's placed them in the face filled with paper flowers from that shop long ago. There must be other shops like that humanity in the umbrella stand, which is such an interesting, like bizarre conceptual image shops with flowers like that. Right. So there's something I don't know about this like array and display and juxtaposition to borrow the word that Jason was using. Um, so the image kind of lands with me, but I, I don't, I don't know that I can un, unpack a narrative or that I, I, or that we're asked to. And I guess the last thing I would say too, is like those first two lines do me in right. Red fruit of tropical magnolia hang guy in long hair leaves Guy in long hair, line break, leaves trail of weed smell, faint barking. Like I had to read that twice because I can't tell if it's like a list or if those sections are commenting on the pieces that came before. Like, you know, it's it's a fascinating, fascinating little tangle. I think it's just all the things that are being noticed in that moment, right? Red fruit in the magnolia a guy passes who leaves the smell of weed behind him and there's faint barking in the distance it's just a it's an opener it's that opening moment right before the camera closes in but it it also sets up a syntax that's undone right like i read hang as a verb and i was waiting for the rest of the sentence Uh, and i thought guy in the long hair was a sort of parenthetical interruption but instead, wow. as you get to the next stanza, you realize that hang is not acting as a verb. Well, I didn't think it was because it had that comma after it. So it immediately wasn't a verb for me. Right? There's a comma. Uh, I don't want to sound too dumb, but what's a verb? Is it not? A verb is an action verb? Yeah, so the an word fruit word? hangs. Well, I guess he's saying he thought it would be magnolia hang something. Oh, okay. No. Right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Hey, like, but that would make the magnolia the performer, which also I don't get, but doesn't matter. <laughs> I just think it's like a scene setter. I thought it was, uh, and maybe even, see, here all the, I'm still being observational in that first stanza. That's right. why I get that italic next season, I'll plant with milkweed for the Marnox. That could be overheard, passing by. Did you say pull the wool? No, I said wooly bully. I think I'm still I'm getting random sentences floating in the air and the speaker is still just being observational. Is so who's in italics? I don't know. 
It's a random, it's a random, just like who's barking, right? It's just, it's just what gets heard. It's the guy in long hair. Just like the dude in the long hair, you know, it just is what, it's a sentence that floats by. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like this poem is just purely meant to be observational. It's just about someone who maybe goes to the shop frequently and he's the people watcher and he observes and maybe he feels like there's no other shop like this and he's trying to prove that it's unique. Mm -hmm. But that's all I'm getting from it. I mean, I feel like this is in... in, All right, so I'll, I'll be a little like personal here. Like, I feel like in 1999... I would have read this poem in fence and like thrown fence across the room and be like, this made no sense. And then I feel like in 2003, I would have read this poem in fence and been like, hmm, this is really interesting. And then I would have spent like a really long time trying to kind of sort of jigsaw all of the pieces together. Um, but no matter what year I kind of see myself reading this, I'm always seeing myself reading it in fence. Reading it what? In fence, the magazine fence. Oh. <laughs> it keeps setting up these pieces. It keeps doing these really interesting things, particularly with syntax, particularly with voice, particularly with the image. But they don't, I can't get them to kind of do something coherent. And maybe I maybe I shouldn't want them to, but I, I do. And I don't know if that's me or if that's everyone or if oh, that's, right. I mean, that's an, ed- an editorial moment of identity we've certainly accepted a lot of non-narrative poems you know but i guess if you, if it doesn't even make any sort of like let's say that brit and i agree that this is somebody just observing everything at this flower shop right then if that's not enough that's not enough i guess for some people you know what? I don't actually mind that it's observational. I mean, some poems have their purpose, and this is that poem's purpose. Actually, what I really like about this poem is how everything that enters the shop seems to turn into nature. Like um, um. how he describes the couple as evergreen, mm-hmm. or he's talking about people. He says... Um, female ilex which has grown taller or fuller than the male's orange for some reason i'm still thinking of people well because a male female yeah but yeah so they appear to be one shrub i like that that's a little whimsical yeah humanity and umbrella i'm a little stuck is like shops like that makes me think of someone observing it almost in relation to other shops or like from some kind of distance. And I feel like the distance for me changes throughout it. And I, and, and that can be okay. But my favorite like image that I don't entirely understand is in that last stanza with the humanity and an umbrella stand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the distance between shops like that and the speaker changes Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. from, from the first three stanzas and then that last stanza. And I'm not sure why, and I'm not sure to what effect that that's where I'm at for it. Yeah. So with Samantha, yeah. like when I read the first stanza, you know, it's it, the speakers um, not in the, sh- it might be in the shop, not be in the shop, remembering the shop unclear, but in that sort of like reverie mm-hmm. and this reverie is really pretty lush and funny, right? Mm-hmm. Like the dude smells like weed. 
did you say pull the wall? No, I said, wooly bully. I don't know if that's overheard or if it's her mind sort of playing with sound, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or the speaker playing with sound. Then nasturtium flowers finally bloom for the cool air. And again, there's a kind of like joyfulness in the, the rhythm and the music of that sentence. And I actually, I wanted to go back to the second stanza because I, I have a question about the second line there. So an evergreen couple, attractive, especially the young man, I read that as make out goodbyes at campus cafe. Yes. And I, and I read it as make out because the next line is how does he know to hold her face like that as they're making out basically, right. which then links into yellow berries of the female ilex which has grown taller are fuller than the males so that they, you know, appear to be one shrub. So there's this like weird entwining that's going on, like Mm -hmm. with the couple who's been recalled in the imagination of the speaker. And then again, the whole thing sort of dumps back into the umbrella and stand of humanity, which puts me back in the house, right? Which I kind of love. I just kind of love it as a weird reverie. Well, there you go. Reverie and observational. We are all saying the same thing. I love what you just said. All of this, all of these descriptions are humanity in, a, in an umbrella stand. Right. Mm-hmm. And I kind of flubbed that line when I read it. Make out goodbyes is the kind of goodbye they had. I make out goodbye. Right. Make out goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Or they make out their goodbye. <laughs> Hmm. I, and I feel like that's kind of the thing is that I keep, I, I spend all of my time, all of my readerly energy is about the structure of the poem and the way that it's constructed. I'm not having feelings. I'm just going to say one thing. This is what I feel. I feel like if I read this in any journal, whether it be Fence or PBQ, (laughs) I would be satisfied. I would go, yeah, you know, that's all. I'm not, my mind isn't blown or whatever, but like I I have a sense of satisfaction after reading this. And that's, that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, Shall we vote since we have two more by this poet? Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. One, two, three, vote. And Joe, our lovely sound engineer extraordinaire. Uh, Okay, Joe, you're absolutely sure of that count, right? Um, Ladies and gentlemen, it's a tie. It's a tie. We have an even number today. Uh, and um, so, so that happened. Um, isn't Joe Speaker of the House then? Oh, yeah. I love that idea. Well, I have to recuse myself today. Uh, I've, been, I've been working on the, the sound and, instead of paying attention. Because <laughs> we have, there's a lot of background noise today. So, all right. My apologies. Um, yeah, so I don't know what order we even release these, but one other time we thought we had a tie and then we didn't really have a tie. And this time we really, truly have a tie. So we will figure that out after the show and we will put on the show notes what happened with this. It's weird feeling, isn't it, to have a tie? It's so anticlimactic. Yeah. It's really funny feeling. Um, okay. Who would like to read Travel Light? Travel late. I can do that. 
Thank you, Jason. Travel light for Val. Up there with bad betrayals, which are all bad, the worst to the self, I left mine with the elegant hotel concierge in Dubrovnik I had no trouble warming up to. Except the lobby was somewhere in the middle of the place, so you never knew until you had passed through it. I left the unorthodox sandals I wore to your wedding such a terrible infraction. Oy, gewalt, shanda. As the bridal hairpins and cocktail fell from my hand, semikayeren, in the ladies, where I rubbed my weak an- ankle and heel, all part of the bum leg I left behind by the toilet with the pull-down chain. On the last day in Vienna, I dodged my character assassin on the same cobblestone you tripped over, occasioning a visit to a clinic specifically dedicated to fractures within the humane socialized medicine of Austria. Such luck. Though regretful for you, was it the middle finger? You were never the same after Vienna. In Prague, the expert yet large cast made you drop the monocle we'd purchased on the bench beside the statue of Kafka, where we had sausages across the plaza. At night, I remembered I'd forgotten the photos I bought on the street in Croatia of the flowers strangers left on makeshift altars to virginal icons in abandoned foyers during the war. They have the entire coast, after all. No wonder they fought. We fought over the kitsch purple-striped carpet at the hotel in Split as I wanted to return to the understated Dubrovnik Hotel of the enigmatic lobby where we slept for 12 hours. Once... I left you on the Connecticut coast and returned to Barcelona for the seafood. You begged me to stay, but my sister's adopted in-laws kept gaining. And when they collectively sat on the couch, they catapulted me from the other end directly into the airport where I left my androgynous haircut in a mirror. They shook me down in security and Duye, that's Peter in Croatian, also my brother's name, whose facts remain in the autopsy his mother refused to open. Duye explained to the officers up my ass that I'd been essentially reared an orphan and freed me. I left his mother, who may have been mine, the crib I slept in till five by her stone slab. Didn't I care that she'd passed? I cried one drop, which I left on my cheek in wax, like a Spanish statue of the Virgin of whatever town you visit. I forgot the Via Spiga swayed high heels in my aunt's wake. The most beautifully expensive shoes I ever fetishized. They felt like silk on my remaining foot. Though eventually they would pinch and felt I didn't deserve them. So, like a fool, I handed them down to my spiteful cousins who betrayed me every chance they could. Somehow or other, I did not lose empathy and tucked it into the casket's innermost satin cushioning and peeked at Duye's lips for the last time. I recalled he died in a foreign language. And during the 12 hours sleep, he was driving us in a black Mercedes along the Aegean. I tossed a golem statuette into the bobbing sunlit limestone lapping waves. Lovely. That was lots. Thank you, Jason. Wow. This is the sound of thinking. Yeah. Thinking, lots to think about here. <clears throat> I like the expanse of it. 
I love how sort of big and sprawling it is and how, you know, it just keeps, you know, it, it has this sort of global reach and this kind of temporal reach. And, you know, all of the distances are simultaneously huge and tiny um, across time, across space. And I really like the way it sort of just keeps pulling those things in together. And it's almost like you never know if the telescope or the microscope is kind of turned up or turned down. There's something about the very last line that bothers me. I think it's just the structure of it because this is just such like an intense poem. And the last line kind was kind of a flop for me. Not the actual like wording of it, but just the structure of it. If it had been divided into maybe two lines to make more of like a suspenseful effect. Hmm. And see, I kind of, I kind of like that. There's no commas, and it just all those, all that. It's, it's the most, just maybe one of the most descriptive lines in the poem. Yeah, you know, like just descriptive. I don't know what I'm troubled by. I have to say, is so many lines are so prosy. Some of it, you know, feels like poetry, and some of it feels like I'm reading an essay. And I feel like it flows in and out of that. Maybe maybe if I spent more time with it, there's a reason. But some lines are very, could be wrapped, right? Well, I, I really like the way that it, it does that. That syntax thing that I was kind of talking about in the last one, I think is much more successful here. I left his mother, right? Sounds like I, I walked away from her. I left his mother, who may have been mine, the crib I slept in till five. Right. That that here I see the syntax being kind of turned back on itself, but it sort of sets up initial readings that then get undone. And that I, I thought was a move that kind of happened across the poem in a way that I could track and found really satisfying because they kept sort of making the they kept both like it's like Penelope, you know, like making her shroud and then unweaving it. It mm. sort of like sets this thing up that then takes it back. And I actually really like that almost like seesaw or the lapping of the waves, like that motion of kind of like forward headlong rush that then turns into something that you weren't expecting. And kind of then you have to revise the way that you had understood what had happened. Like both of, and, and for me, like here it was happening both at the level of syntax and at the level of narrative in a way that I could kind of like be pulled through and really felt like I understood the poetic project. Yeah. Thank you for that description. That makes that helps a lot. Because I do. Uh, I agree with what you said in the beginning. I kind of like this giant this giant poem that's describing minutia. And, and you know, I, I in a general way. Right. And travel light. I'm, I'm liking the title, too. Addison, can you weigh in? Uh, I could. Um, <laughs> I, I like The Expanse. And I like the couple of funny moments, or what I felt were funny moments. Um, the Humane Socialized Medicine of Austria. Such luck. And it's a really good one on the second to last stanza. They felt like silk on my remaining foot, though eventually they would pinch and felt I didn't, 
and felt I didn't deserve them. So like a fool, I handed them down to my spiteful cousins who betrayed me every chance they could. <laughs> Those cousins. Yeah. That's part of the, that's part of the saga aspect of it too, right? Yeah. Like Jason said. My favorite stanza is the sixth stanza. Once I left you on the Connecticut coast and returned to Barcelona for the seafood. That's funny. Mm. You begged me to stay, but yeah. my sister's this adopted in-laws kept gaining. And when they collectively sat on the couch, they catapulted me from the other end directly into the airport where I left me. I dropped my androgynous haircut in a mirror. I love that stanza. And that might mold, meld the prose and the poetry the most. You know, I get, I love the image of in-laws sitting on the couch and, mm -hmm. and, and like bouncing her right <laughs> off directly into the airport. Isn't that great? It's a gorgeous image. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. No, and I, I feel like the way that it sort of keeps winding up this kind of accumulation of people that then sort of like unravels into escape or sort of like, you know, you get all this tension of all this like packing in but then like, and then, you know, the person is just kind of tossed back out to some other sort of solo adventure. I found very satisfying. <laughs> and it's funny. I mean, and that, I mean, and that, you know, what you call attention to that feeling of the in-laws who are like <laughs> bearing down on you. Yeah. <laughs> it just um, tosses you into another space. It was so gorgeous. That's great. Sam and Marion, have you been raptured? We got raptured. Yeah, you just did not. You're just being quiet. Get in on it. We are. So we wanted to make sure that we weren't um, distracting you with background noise um, because we've been mulling, right? We're over here mulling this poem. I, I, I have to tell you, I love the description that Jason gave us of its sort of um, expansion and contraction. It's almost like an accordion and the way that it's moving. Uh -huh. And uh, like for the life of me, though, it feels honestly like it's so... It's working like I, almost like a sestina, like the way that it's like repeating these images and or yeah. echoing these images and then delivering um, on the on that expansion and, and contraction, right? Um, especially at the end there, with its you know somehow or other, I did not lose empathy and and tucked it into the casket's innermost satin cushioning and peeked at Dewey's pale lips for the last time, right? Like that's a bizarre and wonderful image, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I recalled that he died in a foreign language and during the 12 hour of sleep, he was driving us in a black Mercedes along the Aegean, right? I, there's something really compelling about this piece, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'll be, you know, sort of just vulgar and frank about it too. When I read long, prosy poems, I often read to the place where a thing pushes me out and makes me want to put it down because it feels too prosy and too unlike a poem. But this one didn't do that to me because it kept pulling me in and pulling me along. Great. Yeah. I feel similar um, to you, Kathy, in terms of I love the sixth stanza. Yeah. And I feel like I will remember that image for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I also think in, in prosy poems, I'm usually looking for like what part of that narrative or the prose will I kind of use as the takeaway. And 
I don't think I'll have that here. Like, I don't feel like I have like, like a narrative takeaway from this, despite all the prosiness. I think my, my takeaway it has to do with the, the accordion structure of it. Um, I think it's a really enjoyable poem and I think it has a lot of potential for rereads mm-hmm. and for enjoyment in the rereading process. Yeah. Thank you. I keep, I keep coming back to Jason's first word. He said saga, right? It's almost like you could pull the thread on so many of these and get whole other chapters of this saga, you know? Um, We have a wedding, we have a funeral, we have two experiences of, of, uh, sleeping 12 hours, you know, like there's so I I want to know more about Paul and why is it his lips that she's getting one last glance at, you know, so much is packed in here or sorry, not Paul, Peter, Peter, Paul. Hmm. I just also love toilets with pull down chains. So, <laughs> oh God! Who doesn't? I was like, yes, that's great. I could hear it. I could feel like the rustiness of the chain. Wondering how many hands had yeah. yanked that before. I just haven't seen one in so long. I was like, oh, Europe. Yeah. Oh, Europe. <laughs> and that you know what? First time I saw one, I understood why they call it a water closet. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, it looks yeah. like a water closet. It makes you right, think about yeah. the water in the tank more than you do when it's just behind you. You know, <laughs> yeah. does anybody does anybody remember? I know Marion must have been there. there. There was a toilet in Denver where you um you did your business and then you would turn around and face the tank and flush the toilet and the water that was going to fill up the tank became what you would wash your hands in. Can you picture that? Okay. So do your business. Now straddle like you're a man peeing or if you're a man peeing, straddle up on it, get up closer to the tank. Uh, Right. Oh, that's, they I had mean, a sink. There was that. a sink built in the back of the tank. So the water, right? It makes perfect sense. The water that you would wash your hands right. in becomes the water it's for the water toilet bowl. You wash your hands in the water that then's going to flush the exactly. next Exactly. Multi-purpose water. We have our episode title. What? A, to- a toilet in Denver. <laughs> a toilet in Denver. <laughs> a toilet in Denver. Toilets the I best, love. The best toilet in New York had clear <laughs> glass doors. I know where you're you, going. But I you, know where you're going. But when you locked it, yep, yep. the glass turned orange. Yep. It was the most uh, amazing thing. Like, uh, I don't know what gas was involved in this, but um, yeah, there were these bathrooms with like clear, with transparent doors. But then when you lock them, the, the glass mysteriously turned opaque orange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we have the same thing in Old City. I was going to say, I recall one of those somewhere. Yeah. Old City near that. Um, what are those bars? Hookah bar. It's near a hookah bar. Yeah. Anyway, it's right down but there. Novelty somewhere. toilets wear off very quick. The novelty of a novelty toilet wears <laughs> off very quick. Right. We'll have to post all these photos. Um, but anyway, <laughs> back to the poem. Back to the poem. Shall we vote since we do have one more and we've been at it? Let's go for it. Let's do it. Okay. Here we are throwing thumbs. Ready? One, two, three. And it's in. Woohoo! 
Yay. Thank you, Alicia Askinase. Okay, well, this is another long one. Not quite as long as the other, but it's a biggie with a big, big title. And um, I'm wondering who will who will do this. I volunteer Addison. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a good first episode task for All Addison. Right. Planet's climate reversal in spite of itself and what lies outside itself. It's raining iguanas. In the In God We Trust state, plopping from trees not dead, playing dead, when temperature falls below 50, sluggish, under 40, blood stops moving. Whatever you do, don't touch them. They have a good chance if you push them into the sun. Somebody will prod one with his pool skimmer, so allegedly you have to touch them. They thaw out like chicken on a counter or frozen water, delivery bottle left outside, you can blow out like hair. By no means should you collect them in your car. When they warm up, they'll crawl all over you and you'll probably freak out and crash. Like the Floridians, the iguana is not a native of Florida. Introduced to the florid fountain of youth as pets no longer welcomed by residents who hosted them as pets, Florida, like many states, attracts strange people. Paradise entices the fraught with the lucrative. Same day it rained iguanas atop Mount Washington in our live free or die state, the temperature plunged with the wind chill 100 degrees below. Zero under a biting hundred degrees, the winded state of live free or die degrees of our declining day shift iguanas reigned above Mount Washington's high and lucrative paradise, hallucinated how the fraught entices a florid imagination of weird, attractive backdrops, where pets welcomed as residents are wonderful hosts, are no longer pests, Lounge in hot springs presented as youth, not natives. Florida is a reptilian iguana, so don't lose control and crash your car. They'll warm up to you and crawl up on your lap. Ignore the by no means should you let them in your car. <laughs> a mere symbol of stolen spring water from California distributed frozen as precious chicken in certain markets. Mellow out at the counter where you'll allegedly touch discounts. With a swipe, go home and have the pool boy prod you, skimming into the sunny part together. It's only good luck. And whatever you do, don't touch him until it drops below 40 or 50. You'll feel bushed, play dead. He'll bolt soon. You'll be landing in a God we trust in a God we trust state, late fall iguanas treading upscale palms. That was a Bravo. lot. That and was a lot. Bravo. Well done. But, uh, can we just fix one thing? Because I think it might be important. In that last stanza, when we're talking about the pool boy, the line is, and whatever you do, do touch oh, it. Oh, good call. So, noted. Just note I, You that. also did a much better job with the exclamation marks than I did. I had a really hard time kind of capturing the, like, slightly silly... Um, urgency of the exclamation marks and I thought you captured it perfectly. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I do too. Great reading. And uh, this gives me the opportunity to remind our listeners 
to uh, go to pbqmag.org where you can read along, read ahead of time, read after, whatever you'd like. You can see these poems and how they sit on the virtual page. So, well, I was giggling a lot. You heard that. I mean, Addison did do a good read, but I know that I loved a lot of these lines for their humor uh, when I first read them. Suppressing giggles. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that Tim Fitz... iguanas is true. All of that... I mean, iguana, like, infestation of Florida is like a real crisis because without winter, the population just, like, explodes. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, global warming like, may up they, the population they, like, there. They're five feet large and they, like, will just sleep on your house and then go to the edge of your house to, like, poop. <laughs> they, like, go over the edge of your house and then, like... That's yeah, terrible. It's if there's really specifically, you know about iguana poop? Yeah, there were, there were a number of articles in the Times about. Um, as you know, I only read things with New York in the title. <laughs> and, um, the New York Times <laughs> talked about it. It wasn't in the New Yorker, and it was also not in New York Magazine. Well, I feel uh, we always bring up Tim Fitz when he's not with us. And I um, I feel terrible that he's not here today because he spent so much time in Florida and loves to talk about life in Florida. He uh, has so many iguana stories. He has so many iguana stories. It's really a bummer that he's not here to have this conversation. But we joke about Florida. And um, I think that the line, paradise entices the fraught with the lucrative. Yep. was one of the best descriptions, the best you know, five words, whatever many words that is, to describe Florida I have ever heard. Um, like the Floridians, the iguana is not a native of Florida. Yeah. <laughs> it is so true. <laughs> Nobody in Florida is from Florida, basically. Well, and also that, like, you know, when we talk about Florida men, we're talking about white people. We're not talking about, like indigenous uh, tribes. We're not talking about, you know, people who actually lived in Florida prior to colonization. We're talking about, you know, these people who came in and colonized the space looking for the fountain of youth. Sure, sure. But I still think Florida is for the fraught. <laughs> so many people. I mean, Florida is, there's a bunch of, I mean, not to be really terrible, but there's a bunch of rehabs there. And oh, that's oh, where people that go rehab. to start their second lives. It's a, no, but a, it's like, it's like a total scam. There's this whole like Floridian thing where you get passed from rehab to rehab and they run through all of your insurance and then you're like left totally destitute. Yep. Right. And folks, folks go there to start new lives. That's just, it's just a place. People and go. old Jews go there to retire. Sure enough. Although not anymore. I mean, that's kind of a like late 20th century phenomenon. I don't know. One of my old co-ops, you guys remember Brittany McLean? Mm -hmm. yeah. She lives yeah. near Naples and she says that she and her uh, husband are frequently the only people under 30 in mm -hmm. restaurants and stuff like that. She wow. says it's filled with old people. Mm, so, that's the Florida of my youth. Do you know I like, why? I like the, the elderly Jewish Florida. <laughs> it's nostalgic for me. Do you know why we uh, only hear about Florida crimes so much? And and it's, I mean, obviously there's a proportionate amount of crimes in Florida, but Florida is one of the only states that has a law that has uh, arrests on public record. Oh, yeah. interesting. Because they have so many no day. laws. You don't have to get your car inspected. <laughs> you buy your gun at the 7-Eleven. And yet yep. crimes need to be reported. Um, you know what, Joe? I think we'll take this opportunity to plug Dumb People Town. Mm -hmm. That's where I heard it from. Yeah. 
okay. Dumb People Town is one of my favorite podcasts. Joe Zhang turned me on to it. Thank you again, Joe. No problem. And it's uh, comedians who sit around reading news articles about really dumb people crimes. And uh, even in the theme song of it, they go, especially Florida or something like that. <laughs> I have I have a poem about that in my in my next in my forthcoming book about oh. what it means to have empathy when one encounters horrifying news stories where it's hard not to be moved by the idiocy more than by the human catastrophe of what happens. Huh. Well, we uh, I was gonna say also that. like Back to the poem, um, there's something really weird going on or something interesting going on or something exciting going on with the repetitions. Yeah. Um, and it almost kind of reminded me of the, the Paradell, like back when Billy Collins had kind of made up that form. And the ways like that by no means you do let them in your car keeps coming up. The way that like there are all these kind of lines and, and snippets of syntax that kind of percolate and then sort of get like um, stitched in or collaged in in these different ways as the poem moves forward. I love the way you just described that too, because it sort of like has a tumbling effect mm -hmm. and the tumbling feels like a kind of increasing madness, right? In the, in the descriptions um, mm -hmm. that, that the poem stitches together. Um, so that by the time Addison got to the end of the poem, right? Um, the juxtaposition of those images was growing pretty furious and, and adding to the humor of it. Yeah. yeah. I like that word tumbling applied to this. That makes, that's a great word for this. Can you imagine waking iguanas crawling all over you while you're driving down a Florida <laughs> highway? I can imagine nothing can else. You? Are they carnivorous? <laughs> <laughs> Everglades, nothing but Everglades on either side. My parents used to live in Cocoa uh, Beach and we would go to Disney World and the whole two hours between less than two hours between Cocoa Beach and Orlando is nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Because he bought all of that land um, because Disney World, because Disneyland had gotten so built up and, you know, all these people, you know, opened hotels to cater to people going to Disneyland. When Walt Disney built Disney World, he bought all of the land for miles and miles yep. and miles and miles and miles so that only Disney things would exist um, as you travel to the nucleus of Disney World in that giant molecule. Yeah. Of nothing. And it was really cheap because it is swampy. You know, mm -hmm. so he, yeah. you know, he, they did, you know, they spent money and stabilized the land and there it is. Yeah. The but closest I, I've ever been to punching someone was at Disney World. <laughs> I, I really, I very nearly punched one of the security guards. Okay. I want to say that it's really interesting reading this from the UAE. <laughs> which, you know, is often described as a type of Disney world. Right. Oh, and, yeah. um, in fact, the UAE has lots of mangrove forests and, and lots of exotic birds that you can't find anywhere else. Um, flamingos, this kind of thing. And what I like about this poem is that there seems to be like insider and outsider knowledge. And either way, it's enjoyable wherever you are. Like I have no connection with Florida, um, but I'm kind of thought of in this second stanza mm. as someone who's not from Florida. And if you do, like many of you seem to do have these connections with Florida, like 
you're feeling like kind of in on the joke in the first stanza. So I, I like almost the inclusivity of this poem and the inclusivity of the humor of this poem a lot. Uh, I think it's great. My, my one question is in the first couple lines, which I love actually, there's a line, um, they have a good chance if you push them into the sun. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know what, what the chance is for to, to live or to die. I think it's to live. Yeah. yeah. They need, okay. they need heat. Okay. So the body will keep shutting down if it stays cold. So if you put them in the sun, it'll revive. Right. Ah. So if it falls below 50, they're sluggish. Right. Like 40, they're going to stop moving. Okay. Right. And they do, they just keep shutting down. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And does something happen if you touch them? Are they like baby birds? See, this is why we need uh, Tim. Are, is iguana one of those lizards where like you grab a part of it and comes off in your hands and the, and they run away? Like the tail or leg and stuff like I think maybe it is. I'm I'm not sure. We had a pet iguana in my fifth grade class and I don't know that it, any part of it ever came off. <laughs> I don't think they come off. I was yeah. I was wondering that though. I, honestly, five minutes That's ago was like, but, did we break off the tail at any point? Yeah, and did it, and then it would grow back, right? Is it I one of those animals? Know. I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> the funny part for us, we're so Samantha's over here googling iguanas. <laughs> the very first thing that comes up is iguanas in Florida. Uh, Ooh, now they're like little dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do know what's going to be the image. So from this gross. <laughs> Iguanas and toilets. Um, do you guys love all the uh, state mottos? What do you, you think about that? And what do we think about that title? Two so the things. Title Two is things. so ornery. Like it really, it, it almost sounds like it wants to be the title of a journal article. Um, <laughs> or like a, a sort of like poetic chiasmic reversal. Right. Um, and I, I can't quite, I can't quite get my head around the, the tone of the title with the rest of the poem. Um, but I don't dislike that. Okay. You know? Whenever you see an overly long title, it always makes me feel tongue in cheeky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I wasn't getting the joke. In the right. <sighs> I feel like I'm not getting the joke of the second part of it. And what lies outside itself? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, and it's a three-part poem, too, right? There's a line that's a stanza break. Is it a stanza break? I think it's only a no. two-part. It, it, yeah, it's just two stanzas. <laughs> she has a little note there, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at it like line by line and seeing some direct reflection like at the stanza break you can kind of go almost go like one line down and one line up they mirror each other a lot. Oh, interesting. So like by the end there's iguanas, what does it say? Treading upscale palms whereas they're raining in the very first line of the poem. Mm-hmm. And then like you can just start counting backwards and forwards and kind of see a lot of that. The, the mottos that I like best are, are the one in the last stanza. Um, 
in a God we trust state, because I like the play on the different ideas of state mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. also how that plays on on the title. And I mean, is this a political poem or not? Are all poems political is, is of course, a, a conversation. And, and for me, like this makes it like a, overtly political in relation to climate change. And mm-hmm. so I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And boy, now that Addison pointed out these two stanzas mirroring each other, like I saw that the grocery chicken came back and, mm-hmm. you know, it is different, and I but I didn't really notice exactly how precisely it did. Um, that's pretty cool. And that's the reversal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Like it literally says, whatever you do, don't touch them. Then on the other um other stanza it says and whatever you do do touch them right it's an exact reflection right so the title yeah. makes a lot of sense things you might find <laughs> by the pool yeah iguanas and pool boys <laughs> well you know which one i prefer <laughs> things you might find by the pool for 200 <laughs> <laughs> I would so win that category. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Oh my. On that note, maybe it's time to vote. Okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay. Thrum thumbs, one, two, three, vote. What are they saying, Cho? What are they saying? And it's in! Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you, Alicia, Alicia Askinase. That is not too shabby, I would that say. Very good. One tie and two wins. That's pretty awesome. Um <laughs> Thank you so much for letting us discuss your work. Alicia, I'm talking to her like I'm talking to her, but she'll get it when she hears this. So thank you. Um, anybody have anything they want to share about what they're reading or or doing or thinking about these days? So uh, Samantha and I are about to head over to see um, Caroline Brothers do a mm-hmm. talk. Um, she's the author of a book called Hinterland, and um, she's a journalist by training. And she did a bunch of interviews with um, refugee children uh, escaping oh, from places like Afghanistan, um, and then has written a, a sort of fictional telling mm. of their um, experiences. So we're about to head over there okay. on campus here at Abu Dhabi. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I usually always say something. I do have a great story to tell you guys off air, though. So okay, um, <laughs> let me just tell our listeners to please let us know how we're doing. Follow us on all the platforms um, and keep reading. All right. Woo! Thank you. Addison, your voice is Fucking oh my God! I want to lie down in your voice and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to spoon Jason and nap in Addison's voice. <laughs>